everybody. My name is Bill Kiefer, and I want to welcome you to our podcast, Practical Wisdom from the Word of God. I believe the Bible is a book that God gave to us that's full of insights, wisdom, promises, and many other things that help us live daily life. So join me for the next few minutes as we look into the Word of God to find that practical wisdom we need today. Well, praise God and welcome again to Practical Wisdom from the Word of God. My name is Bill Kiefer and I'm happy that you join me today. Now, I'm bringing you this podcast today on uh, December 23rd, so it's the day before, the night before Christmas. And I just wanted to give you a few thoughts, some things that God has been kind of putting on my heart as I've been praying about this season and praying about what to share with you. We've kind of ended what we've been talking about for the moment, and so we'll take a little break from that. But I want to look at uh, a section of Scripture in the book of Isaiah today, and this is not generally uh, what you might think, first of all, when you think of a Christmas scripture, but really that's what it is. It is a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. And so we're going to look at two basic things. One, the situation in the world when this prophecy was given, and two, what this prophecy really means to you and I personally. Remember, our podcast is called Practical Wisdom from the Word of God. I believe that God gave us His Word to be able to be applied in our everyday living. We have an eternal future with Him, but we also have this life that we will be in for however many years we live, and that wisdom that He gave us applies here today as well. And so we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, and before we read a few verses from that, I had spent some time some years ago in Isaiah chapter 8, and I went back to look at that because one of the things that you have to learn about interpreting the Bible or anything really is that there are words that are connecting words, and one of them starts chapter 9. It is nevertheless. That means in spite of this. Well, in spite of what? in spite of what he's talking about in chapter 8. When I was studying the idea of waiting on God, chapter 8 is is one of those scriptures that teach us what waiting on God will do in our lives and how it works. But in that verse or in that scripture, that chapter I should say, it really begins with you rejected the waters of peace, the waters of the peaceful river, and now you're going to get the waters of the tumultuous river. And what he's talking about is the invasion of Israel by Assyria. Israel had already been conquered. Now, Israel was the northern part of the the Hebrew kingdom. It was Israel and Judah. Israel tended to stray from God more than Judah did. And Judah kind of had this idea that they were safe. We're, we're Judah. Jerusalem is in our territory, so nothing bad can happen to us. And yet what God is saying to them is, you haven't lived the right way. And, and because you haven't, because you've rejected my ways, then the river that flooded over Israel in terms of the Assyrian conquest is also going to come into your area as well. And so what we really see here is the whole world of Israel. And that's really the whole world that God is talking to right at this time. That whole world is in a very, very bad place. And as I'm looking at this, I thought, 
Isn't that so indicative of where we are now? As we end 2023 and we look into going into 2024, we are not living in a good place. The world is not in a good place. Our nation, I don't believe, is in a good place. Because what we're seeing here is what happened to Israel all the time, both Israel and now Judah, when they strayed from God Bad things happened. I believe the United States of America needs to get their heart and mind back to God. I'm not sure how that's going to happen the way things are, the way our culture is, and the way our media uh, uh, just takes every opportunity to tear down the things of God and promote ungodliness, and the way even our government is legislating certain things that are based in ungodliness and the attitudes and underlying perspectives. All of that would have to change in order for us to escape some of what we read about Israel. Now, I'm not a doom and gloomer. I believe God can do anything. And I also believe that in the middle of terrible times, God can deal with and work with and help you and I as his children. But this is a bad time. And so we begin reading in chapter 1 of Isaiah chapter 9. It says, Nevertheless... Nevertheless, in spite of all the bad stuff, and I believe there's a nevertheless for you and I. Hallelujah. I just got a sense of the anointing of God right there. Nevertheless, in your life, nevertheless, even though things are not good in the world nor in this nation right now, as far as godliness is concerned, nevertheless, there's something good that can happen. He says, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them light has shined. And so what's he talking about here? Well, Zebulun and Naphtali are the northernmost parts of Israel. And in the day that chapter 8 and chapter 9 are talking about, those were the places that were worst uh, uh, struck, that, were, that had uh, more destruction, more death, more, more of an impact, a very, very terrible time for them as the Assyrians invaded. So this was the worst part of the war zone. And he, so he's talking about a place where things had really gone wrong. And he says, but I'm going to turn it around. And the way I'm going to turn it around or what's going to happen is that those people who were walking in darkness are going to see a great light. And uh, then he goes on to say, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, of uh, of." Actually, God's oppressor, God was the one that brought this to them or allowed this to come to them. But that rod is going to be broken as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of the fire. He says, I'm going to turn this whole thing around. In the midst of this awful, terrible time, something good is going to happen. Now, whenever you read prophecies in the Old Testament, those prophets were speaking to Israel. 
As far as they understood it, they were speaking to Israel. They were not speaking to you and me. They were talking about what was going on in their nation. That was their job. But God, when he anointed them, would often put in things that really didn't apply to Israel. And the truth is, when you read that section of the good things that were going to happen, that really didn't happen in Israel. That didn't happen in that northern kingdom when Jesus was born. And that's what he's talking about. When Jesus was born, they were still in darkness. They were still in death. As a matter of fact, uh, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, we know that Jesus was born in Galilee, but the term Galilee of the Gentiles referred to the northernmost part of that that was basically not even settled primarily with Israelites anymore. It was an ungodly place, and it was by tradition where the Messiah was going to come from. Hallelujah. And indeed he did. So God is saying something in the midst of this terrible time. And as I was studying this again, I've looked at this many times, but as I was studying it again, it just struck me. In the midst of all of this darkness, we see verse 6. And I don't believe uh, verses 1 through 7 ever really happened, certainly not to Israel. There were bad, good times and bad times, but even at the time Jesus was born, they weren't be, uh, occupied by Assyria anymore, but now they're occupied by Rome. They never did get back to what they had been. And so in the midst of this terrible stuff, Jesus or this, this verse comes and it's kind of out of nowhere. And it's nothing that happened to Israel. So who is he talking to? He's not talking just to Israel. One of the reasons that this is set in this place called Galilee of the Gentiles is that he's talking to the whole world. We are in a bad situation, but something better is coming. He told Israel they were in a bad situation, but for the whole world, something better was coming. What was that something better? It's what we talk about. It's what we celebrate. It's what's supposed to make this time of year the most wonderful time of the year. It has nothing to do with a guy with a white beard and a red suit. It has everything to do with a baby. Hallelujah. It has nothing to do with the decorations. It has nothing to do with any of that. If you want to do that, we do that. I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with it, though we kind of stayed away from the Santa Claus thing with our children and you say well why would you do that because you tell them about Santa Claus the Easter Bunny and a number of other things and you throw Jesus in there and most of them were a lie we didn't want them to think Jesus was a lie too and so that was our choice I'm not condemning you if you want to do Santa Claus that's fine I, I, my wife loves the decorations. I'm at a point in my life where I can take or leave it, but that's fine. And we do that part, but that's not what it's about. That old Charlie Brown Christmas where Linus finally comes up and says, this is what Christmas is all about. And he quotes the scripture from Luke about a baby born. This is what we're talking about. That's why this scripture is so much uh, a, a Christmas scripture. And what does it say? say. And it's out of nowhere in the middle of terrible times. And I want to throw it out to you today in the middle of what I think are pretty terrible times and could get a lot worse 
if we don't pray and seek God, but in the middle of whatever may happen, this becomes our promise. This is what gift giving at Christmas is about. This is why we give gifts. And so the most important gift that came to us as a result of Jesus coming is, of course, salvation. Uh, he produced or he bought for us redemption. And that that is, that is the greatest thing. Uh, you can be redeemed. You can have peace with God. When the angels came and they spoke to the shepherds, they said, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Some, some uh, could also be translated among men, and some translations that I think are good ones do. But I believe if you look at the whole context, there hasn't been peace among men. There's this, this, this birth that came in Bethlehem didn't produce that. It hasn't produced that up to this day. There are still wars and more, what might be called rumors of wars that Jesus talked about. But what it did produce is this, peace toward men. Peace from who? Toward who? Peace from God toward men. We can be at peace with God. Hallelujah. I don't care how much our culture tells us that's not necessary. Every human being knows somewhere deep on the inside that they need to be at peace with their creator. And that's the most important gift that came through the birth of Jesus Christ. God came to us. He he caused Jesus to go through what he went through to pay the price for our sin. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You will be put at peace. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Anybody, anybody can have that now. It's not just for uh, the Israelites. It's not just for Americans. It's not just for white people, black people, brown people, whatever color you may be. Jesus died for every single one of us that we might be at peace with God. But along with that, there are some other things that Jesus gave or that God gave. Let me, let me rephrase that, that the Father gave to his world, his children in this time, and it's revealed to us by this scripture. So what are we celebrating? We're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, which would produce salvation for us. But what else did God give us in this? In this sixth verse, there are some things that are so significant and so important, and it goes on into the seventh verse. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There is something about the birth of a child. It, 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 it speaks of hope. It speaks of new beginning. It speaks of a change. If you've had a child and, and when that child was born into your family, if you were childless, I remember when the first child came into our family and we had six, but when the first one came, everything changed. You could not just think about you, yourself, and your wife. You had to begin to realize that you were now responsible for a life that could not take care of itself. And you know, that taught me so much about who God is, because in a real way, I can't take care of myself. 
in the in the cosmic idea of living life. I need a father. I need someone to help me. And learning how to take care of a child changed our whole focus, changed the, what was important and what wasn't important. And then with every subsequent birth, it's another new beginning. The The whole family changes. The, the firstborn is now uh, no longer the only child. Now there's a secondborn. The firstborn's not the baby. There's a secondborn. And then there was a thirdborn. And that changed it again. And on through the sixthborn, where she became the baby and nobody else was the baby. You understand what I'm talking about. There's something about the birth of a child. And here he says, for unto us. Who's us? Us, we, humanity, for unto humanity a child was born, a new beginning, a new life made available, a new focus for life. And then he says, unto us a son is given. Now, ladies, don't buy into this thing that anything that talks about male is somehow bad. You can not believe me or you cannot accept this if you want to, but this, when when a male was born, it was something important and something special. Why? Because, like it or not, the bloodline comes through the male. Why do I say that? Well, the bloodline can come through a female. No, it cannot. Blood type is determined by the male. You can argue it. You cannot accept it. You can say it's a bad thing, but I'm sorry. It's the biology that God created. And so when a son was born, it spoke of continuation. It spoke of the fact that this was not something that was just going to be for one generation or one part of the family, but that the family would continue. Whatever that family brought to the earth would continue. He says, a child's born to us. It's new life, but there's a son, which means it's going to continue on and continue on to every subsequent generation right up to us today. To you, a child was born. To you, a son was given. Hallelujah. Then he says, the government shall be upon his shoulder. There's something about government that we need to understand. Your government, whatever it may be, and you may be listening in some other part of the world, your government determines to a great degree your lifestyle. Your government can limit freedom or it can promote freedom. Your government can limit liberty or it can promote liberty. Your government can, uh, can be there to help you to prosper and to be whatever God wants you to be, or your government can be there to tell you you will serve the government, and that produces a whole different kind of lifestyle. The United States is not perfect, and I know it's really popular today to say, well, it was uh, never great. America was never great. Well, it was great enough that people all over the world today still want to come here. How do I know that? Because I go all over the world, and I talk to these people, and they don't want to come here because they believe the government will take care of them. They want to come here because they believe they can have liberty. They believe they can pursue life. They believe they can pursue to believe the way they want to believe. And that is why the United States has become the magnet for the entire world. I think we're one of the few countries in the world, there are some others, that have to think about building a fence on our border because people want to be here. 
that has to say something to us. Why are we not understanding that? The government that we have produces the lifestyle that we have. I grew up during the Cold War and the, the Soviet government produced a lifestyle where there wasn't enough food. There was no opportunity. The only people that got anything were those who were in control and in power. That was that government. But Jesus is the government has been put upon his shoulders. When he came unto us, a son was given, and the government is now upon his shoulders. Now, not the world government, not the secular government, not the government of the world system. That's not on his shoulders, not yet, but it will be. But right now, the government over my life, oh, I hope you get what I'm saying. My natural government affects my lifestyle, but to a far greater degree, there is a government that supersedes my natural government. It is the government of the kingdom of God, and that government rests not on the shoulders of a president, of senators, of congressmen, of local uh, officials. It rests on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. He determines what that government is, and he is our wonderful God. And he is, uh, that government is limited by very few things. First of all, it's motivated by nothing less than the love of God. Second of all, it's founded on the value of every individual as a child of God. Third, it's limited only by the power of God. And four, it is confined or or not limited, that's not the right word, but directed, confined within the framework of the will of God for my life. Hallelujah. That's what I would receive at Christmas. That's what we're celebrating right now. And then it talks about what he's called. It says his name. What is the name of this one upon whom the government is on his shoulders? I don't think I said that right, but you know what I mean. His name is wonderful. That word wonderful means miracle. Hallelujah. It means a lot of things. It means great. It means powerful. It means wonderful. I mean, wonderful is wonderful, but it also meant in Hebrew miracle. That was the word you'd use to describe a miracle. It's wonderful. But then he says counselor. What's a counselor? It's an advisor, a guide. So what do we get? What was the gift that he gave to us outside of salvation we have available to us a wonderful, miraculous counselor. It's miraculous in the sense that the accuracy and wisdom that he will give us as he counsels, advises us, guides us, is, is miraculous. He knows things we don't know. He knows the right place to go, the right direction to go, the right decisions to make. But it's also in that, it's miraculous in that it will lead us and direct us to the place of the release of God's power for us. Listen, he gave this to us. This is something that's for us. Jesus said it another way. He said, there's another comforter that's going to come and he's going to be with you forever and he is going to lead you into truth and he's going to do for you everything Thing that I can and have done for you, he is going to be the wonderful counselor, the miraculous counselor. Then he's also called the mighty God. This is very interesting. The word mighty means the ability to do anything. It means strong, powerful. The, the words uh, powerful by implication, a warrior, a tyrant. That's interesting. And God's not a tyrant, but the way a tyrant would rule, the, the kind of control that he has over people, God has not for evil, but for good. He's our champion. He's our chief. He's a giant. He's a man. He's a mighty man, a strong man, a val valiant man 
That's what mighty means. But he's not just a mighty man or some kind of mighty tyrant. He is the mighty God. The word for God there is the the word El. It's the name of God that means mighty. It also designates that we're talking about God and no one else. What do we have? We have a, 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 a miraculous counselor and we have this mighty, able to do anything, powerful, uh, powerful man, mighty man, mighty father, mighty chief. And he is not just somebody, but he is the one and only God. And he is yours because Jesus was born, because a son was given, because a child came into the world for us, for humanity. He's also called the everlasting father. What does that mean? It means that he's a father. What is a father to a child? Particularly a young child, a father is the one who cares for that child, who's responsible for that child, who feeds, clothes, protects, provides for that child in every way. That's what our father is, but he's not a father that's going to die. No matter how old we get, God will always be there. I tell you, I'm going to turn 70 in just a few days. I feel great. God is still moving in my life, but I am comforted to know that as a 70-year-old man, I still have a father. Hallelujah. He's everlasting. He's never going to change, and that's another aspect of this. He's not going to be grumpy dad one day and nice dad another day. Sometimes I can be that way, but uh, God is never that way. He never changes. James said in him, there is no change, no shadow of changing. He's not even looking like he's going to change. He will always be the loving father. And then he's called the prince of peace. The prince is someone who is in charge. Uh, it, it's, it's far more than the heir to the throne. In this context, it's the one who's in charge. It's a principal. It's a governor. It's a Lord. He is the Lord of my life, but he's a Lord of peace. Oh, hallelujah. He's a Lord of safety. He's a Lord of wellness. He's a Lord of happiness. He's a Lord of welfare, health, prosperity, and our peace mentally and emotionally. He is the prince of my peace. He's the one who's in charge of my peace, of my health, of my well-being. All of those things come to us. And he says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time or from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, he talks about the kingdom of David, but you see, Jesus is the heir to the throne of David, no one else. So we're not talking about Israel here. We're talking about humanity. But what humanity? That humanity which will submit to him, which will receive him as Lord and Savior. This government can do wonderful things in your life. As you enter into 2024, as you look at the world that we live in today, with all of its challenges, with all of its decisions that you're going to have to make, with all of the things that may come against you in life, listen, we're not immune to those things, but 
We are heirs of another government. We are under another government. We live under the government of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and indeed this Prince of Peace. And I love what it says here in this, the last verse of this section. He says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The word zeal can mean a number of things, but the synonyms in English are passion, intensity. It is the passion of God for these things to be in our lives. Now, the question isn't whether or not they are true. They are true. As we celebrate Christmas, we're not celebrating all of these other cultural things. That's fine. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But while you're doing that, let's remember this. We're celebrating the giving of the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. To us, a child and a son has been born. There is no lack of his governmental ability. As we allow him to reign in our lives, we will see a greater and greater manifestation of this gift in our daily living. It's not about whether he can or will be these things to us. The question is how much will we yield to his governing? How much will we yield to his lordship? How much will we allow the word of God to rule in us? We talked about this uh, last time we were together. How much will we allow the word of God to give us the insight to illuminate where we need to change? And how much much will we submit to him? If we will do that, then in the midst of this terrible time, and it's very interesting, you start reading in verse 8, and it's right back to, this is a terrible time for you, Israel, and you brought it on yourself. Well, this may be a terrible time for the world, and we may have brought it on ourselves, but I thank God that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end, and it's the zeal of the Lord himself that will bring this to pass in our lives. 2024 is going to be another challenging year, but I believe it's also going to be a great year. Something's been stirring in my spirit. I don't even know fully what it is. I know that God has been speaking to me, and every year I have a theme. goes back to when we were pastoring the last church, and that was the focus for what I was going to teach in the church, for what we were going to try and do in the church. But the theme that God has been working in my mind, I don't even know how to preach it. I'm working on that. But the theme is to be more like Jesus. We need to be more like Jesus than we need to be more like some celebrity or more like some government person or more like anything that we can see. If we can be more like Jesus, we're going to have a great year in 2024. And more important than just great in terms of you know, what we get or how our lives go. More important is that we will have a great year in terms of building and extending the kingdom of God. Listen, I want you to take some time as you celebrate. I know for us, uh, Christmas morning was always a a time of of uh, intense excitement and joy and chaos in our home. We're going to be going to our daughter's house, or she still has five kids at home, and so just so we can have fun watching them and be a part of that. So I'm sure there will be chaos and all that kind of stuff there too. But in the middle of that, or after that's over and before that begins, take some time to remember that unto us a child was born, unto us a son was given, and that key will open up a whole new kind of life. And the more we yield to his government, 
the more that life will multiply in us. God bless you. Have a wonderful Merry Christmas. If you're listening to this afterwards, I hope you had a wonderful Merry Christmas. Take some time as we head into 24 to think about what God is doing and going to do in your life because of this wonderful child and son that was born to you. Have a great time in Jesus' name. God bless. This podcast is an outreach of Living Word International, a division of Intercession Ministries. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so via email at livingwordintgreen at gmail.com. That's livingwordintgreen at gmail.com. God bless you and have a wonderful day.